Hey y'all, Mark here from Bonsai Southeast. It is good to be back. Had a little delay from Hurricane Ida, but we're back in business. To make it up to y'all, we got a very special guest from across the pond, someone who Evan has drawn lots of inspiration from, Mr. Harry Harrington. Evan and I also put together a new opening theme for y'all. And last but not least, this is part one of two. Stick around, check it out. I think we're much more comparable to where you're at. So you're actually, uh, and I'm sorry, uh, whenever you see stuff online, it's easy to look up information on people. So I know where you are because of Facebook tells me where, where you're at. So obviously people want to come visit you. They're going to come to, is it Aylesbury? Aylesbury. Aylesbury. Yeah. Uh, and so that's just north of uh, London. And it's like more. Yeah. And so the climate up there, I think, is going to be similar to us in a way. Very muggy, very humid. Uh, you'll get lots of rain still. You guys get um, a lot more humidity, and I suspect a lot more heat in the summer. Yeah. We do, the whole of the UK, because we're surrounded by water, we have a very nice um, climate. So it doesn't get too hot, and it never gets too cold. Mm. The British people talk about the weather all the time, but I don't think they realise how lucky we are. Um, yeah. We don't have extremes of anything. It's just nice. Yeah, no, that's that's what I've heard. I've always, like, because, you know, in British comedy, you always see, like, the, the gloomy, sad-looking, like, just kind of always yeah. grey. And yeah. it's really like that, but I mean, you'd say that's actually very good weather for Boneside. Always fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um... The southeast, specifically where I am, where London is, it's relatively dry. Where I started off doing bonsai in Manchester was mm. a lot wetter. We had like a um, an August monsoon, they used to call it, um, where it's incredibly wet, and I could go out collecting in August because transpiration on the on the leaves was just nothing. Mm. And, and that's something that we're going to kind of go into detail more with the Yamadori practices. But I do have like a general list so we can stay in order to watching you. Um, obviously, your work's been out for a while. You've got a couple of books out. Um, your blog, I noticed, hasn't been like your blog website. That's originally how I used to keep up with you. And you're not so into it as you used to be. It's um, very time consuming to upload sponsor information. Mm. It's something that I was very diligent about. For literally about 19 years but mm. now when i have the time something online every evening to go straight to social media um that's where i've decided to put my time rather than just on the website all the time yeah. um I, I need to do something about it and it's something that that hassles me that i'm not keeping bonsai for me updated as regularly as i'd like yeah um because there's a few of the other guys out there that are using their sites still and they'll do blog posts like maybe 
once a month or maybe once a week. I don't know, but I know, uh, and I, I've been keeping up with you for probably over a decade now, and I've watched a really? lot. Of, yeah, I've watched a lot of your trees go from stumps to just absolute gems. Uh, really thank nice you, stuff. Um, and so, yeah, whenever uh, bonsai for me slowed down a little bit, I was just like, uh, well, maybe he's just got other things going on, you know. Um, obviously, social media has been a lot more like you do. You're a lot more present on like Instagram, Facebook. I don't know if you're using anything else, but something's got to give. Um... There have been times where I'm like almost closing bonsai for me down because it's the past twenty years it's not up to date. Mm -hmm. And I don't I don't feel like uh, I can put enough time into it. But there's so many people who still rely on it and I I've realized that it would be it would be wrong of me just to erase it. Mm -hmm. I mean they got a lot of the people too that do like uh like maybe a revamp of your site because that's like uh that's wordpress isn't it hey that's we're talking dreamweaver <laughs> uh no i had the time going back in the early 2000s to learn really really basic html coding mm. dreamweaver banged mm. it out and Oh, I don't have any education in coding or anything. Transferring the entire website over into anything that's even um, a decade old would take a long, long time. There's 500, 600 pages minimum. Mm -hmm. So I had the choice of recoding the, the entire website or writing a book. Or the, the trouble is, I, I also need to earn a living. Yeah. Uh, up to do bonsai for me and update it. If I go down to the local supermarket and I buy my shopping and say, look, I don't have the money, but bonsai for me is looking really great at the moment. You don't wash. Yeah. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. It's, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm one of those artists who's come from, um, I spent my life working on bonsai for me or working on bonsai. I don't come from any kind of money like that or a backgrounds where yeah. I've earned a lot of money and then coming to bonsai is retired. Stuck mm -hmm. you know, as an artist. It doesn't make you a rich man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely get that. Like coming, that's what I was, I didn't want to ask you that directly and like put you on the spot, <laughs> but thanks for being honest about that. Cause I was going to be like, is this all you? Obviously it's all you from the very beginning to now. You know, in recent years, I've got two apprentices that helped me out fantastically. I've got a guy who comes to the garden, um, helps you with shipping and defoliating, stuff like that. And then I have my partner who runs the shop. She does all the packing and stuff like that. But basically, it's, it's just me. It's mm -hmm. one of those, you know, um, if you need to do something, you teach yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you can't really rely on other people, especially for the presentation and the way that you make it look. It's obviously been you from the, the get-go. So I didn't know if you had somebody on the side direct, like, because some artists need directors. Like, some artists are brilliant, but don't know how to present it. So, yeah, more hats off to you for knowing how to do both sides of that coin, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the business side, I don't like it. it it's not me, but because um, I'm an old hippie, really. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> to carry on doing what I love doing, I also need to earn money. I have to bring that commercial aspect in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't do bonsai to, to get rich, certainly. No, no. I, that's what I. That's what I even told my. Uh, I told my fiance now that uh, I was like, "Look, I'm pursuing bonsai as a career, and this is going to be me probably for a good long while." Yeah, I mean, I've got a backstory to that, you know, um, and, and reasons why I've seen people getting rich mm-hmm. and not enjoying life. And I kind of decided to do life my way. And yeah. I know that a lot of people would love to step away from earning a lot of money and actually just do something which fulfills them, yeah. which for me is bonsai. Yeah, or exactly. An art. Something where you can feel like you're creating, expressing it. Yeah, and that and that's it's worth more than money. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I've got a friend that's uh, a traveling musician, and he told me that he feels like me and him are more alike now because he's given up all of like what's expected of of like your normal person to get married and work at a a plant job, like go make the money for the thing. He's like, now you're just doing. You're doing what you need to for yourself, and that's more fulfilling in the long run. And and our opinions now, uh, so yeah, that's pretty cool to hear that too. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the trouble is, is, is if you're artistic, I always think that you you end up with an itch that you can't scratch unless you're you're creating. Mm-hmm. And I soon get rid of that itch, and, or at least scratch it by creating, rather than have lots of money and yeah, climb in walls, you know. But, I mean, but you're still comfortable though. So, like, uh, obviously, you have a. I'm doing okay now, but okay. I spent five years writing bonsai for me, um, and didn't get paid a penny. I didn't earn a penny. I just did it. It's something that I felt driven to do, Mm. and part of my learning process was was I think when you can break something down and start to teach it. You have a greater understanding than just uh, repeating things back verbatim. Mm. Um, I mean, this is a. Oh, that was just my computer making a noise. Um, just, I don't know if it's really personal to you. We can cut it out if you want, but do you have any formal training of any kind that you'd like to bring up or just. Oh, no, 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 no. Think about I've got a certificate as a forklift truck driver. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> it's ne- Do you know what? Not once have I been able to apply that. Uh, you you've been where? Not once have I been able to apply that in bonsai. To apply what? Your uh, your truck driving license? Yeah, my certificate. Man, I know it's it's a bummer, isn't it? I'm I'm fully certified in AC work, and I can't do anything. To help myself with air condition, I mean, maybe a greenhouse, you know. I come from the thing is, Evan. I come from a very high flying family. Um, my IQ is something you know, 145 or something like that. My dad went to Oxford. He's got two first class degrees. Hmm. He was involved in IBM when they were in room with uh, Bill Gates, the internet coding, and. I could see how miserable it made my family. <laughs> I, didn't make 
is why I just went off on my own tangent. I just thought, oh, no, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm not going to university. I'm just going to live life. And mm. I haven't regretted it yet. <laughs> yet. Yeah. Uh, but as, as far not as. Not until, the, not until the day when I spoke to this guy from Louisiana and he just pissed it off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, have you. Uh, have you reached out to anyone or talked to anyone like like you're doing now? Like talk to anyone in the states like this? No, I don't think so. No. Uh, have you ever been to the states? No. No. Okay. Uh, but obviously, you've been around. Uh, you obviously been around Europe and stuff, doing stuff with like uh, No Lander Show and all the other uh, the Belgian yeah, I've done show. A lot of stuff in Europe. I've mm -hmm. also brought up my, my daughter on my own since she was two. So that's kind of complicated things in terms of me getting away from the UK yeah. for any kind of prolonged amount of time. Yeah. Because uh, I'm kind of mum and dad. Yeah. Uh, sounds like the audio is just cutting up a little bit. I don't know if it's uh, if it's me or you. It sounds like it might be coming for a little bit from you, but... Uh, but... I'll be honest with you, I, I can hear you really nice and clear and... Yeah. Okay, good. So uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty and start going through the Yamadori thing since uh, since we got a kind of a little bit of a, you know, I feel a little bit better now. I'm not shaking as hard as I was before. Uh, oh, you forgot your beers. Yeah, I forgot my, my fucking beer and I was gonna, I was gonna kick it back and you know, I, I know it's like eight, it's like seven o'clock for you right now, huh? It's like, what? No, um, more like six. Ten, ten to six. Yep. So you, you had a full day, like already, you said you had a, Pretty regular, boring day, but uh, this is probably the only thing you had going on, huh? No, there's always stuff. There's always, there's always stuff. something. Yeah, I yeah. can't expect to be the most important thing that that's happening. <laughs> you know, I've had an utterly miserable day with dealing with someone who, um, who's completely mentally ill, as far as I can tell. But I've had to deal <laughs> with that. Um, there's all, always things going on. Um, mm -hmm. Not just in the garden. We've had snow here today, and it's only been like one degree, which is quite unusual for November. It yeah. can be really quite mild normally, but when things are frozen, I don't work on them. It's it's not worth it. Mm. So it's been a lot more admin, pushing out shipping and things like that. Brexit's coming in the UK, and it's been a nightmare of bureaucracy and trying mm. to make sure that things are in the right place at the right time. Yeah, that's something I have no idea how you would even deal with that. I heard about all that mess over there. So it's it, it really we got ourselves in the foot big time. Mm -hmm. Um, and we don't even uh, we don't even deal with snow over here. Uh, kind of just aiming back towards Bonsai, obviously. Uh, but this the snow is obviously like we get like maybe six inches every five to ten years. Uh, we rarely see it. So we're very similar. It's um, we tend to get one or two days when we actually have snow on the ground, and that's it. Mm. We have had once a decade. We'll have a, a snap winter, but it's extremely cold, and we might have like a minus five or a minus six. But the tendency is, particularly before Christmas, there's barely a frost. Mm -hmm. And then and, frost, you know, one or two degrees. And I'm talking uh, one or two degrees. 
Yeah. And like, as far as your, your trees go, your specimen trees, they do just fine staying on the bench for that kind of stuff. Absolutely. They, they need that cold. Mm -hmm. They need a certain number of cold days uh, in order to come out of hibernation in, in, in the spring. Yeah. I'm not, I don't want to keep something that um, isn't frost hardy. It yeah. won't do as well as the UK because we also, same token, we don't have the heat. We don't have the number of uh, sun hours that you need for a subtropical. Mm. So it's, it's better to have mild, you know, ficus material, for instance. It's better to admire it on the internet rather than actually buy it in yourself because yeah. it's so slow and gloomy. So y'all don't even see any kind of conditions to grow most tropicals like you would like to. That's what you're pretty much saying, yeah. Um, over here in Louisiana, in southern United States, we actually have plenty good environment for that. So ficuses and stuff yeah. like you said, uh, there's a couple of tropical species that are available to us that are really awesome. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, uh, buttonwood. You ever heard of a yeah. buttonwood? Is an excellent. I think, in my personal opinion, it's the best. It's the best collectible yamadori material that is tropical, but also like the deadwood quality. Uh, what you can do with them is just amazing. They're very flexible, very fast growing. Uh, so yeah, we are fortunate enough to have that. But it's a bummer to hear like because I've seen. I've seen you had a couple of uh, ficuses on your bonsai for me. Like, I think you had one that you yes, took a picture of, yeah. and that's about it. So you're not huge into the big specimen ones. Oh, I mean, I see your buttonwood is, is, is your equivalent of privet, augustrum, or olive, which it tends to be more sort of Southern Europe, but mm -hmm. very, very tough, easy to propagate trees. Yeah. I actually have a uh, an olive tree that came from the way far side of the United States because we have uh, California. You can actually grow olives there, and they grow just like they do for you guys. Yeah, I can imagine so. Yeah, yeah. we don't get them um, growing, you know, as native species or in the ground. But when we import them from Southern Europe, they do really well as long as you keep them out of the the rain. You got okay. to keep the roots dry. The killer for us isn't isn't the cold, it's cool, wet conditions through mm. kind of January and March, where it may only be five degrees centigrade. There's a lot of moisture in the air, a lot of humidity and a lot of rain as well. Mm. And that would damage a tree that's um, kind of more adapted to a drier environment. Mm. We all love getting the, um, the olives from Yorker. In southern Spain, and they are just absolutely amazing, amazing deadwood. But so we're told that they receive around two liters of water a year, half of that from the air. That's mm -hmm. what they survive on, that's what they're old to survive on. So you bring them over to the UK and put them out in a wet winter, it's not a good, a good thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the European olive. That's um, Alia Silvestris. Okay. And because, uh, I mean, I have this one olive that I got from somebody that, like, it came from California. I have no idea what um, what sub, I guess, subspecies of it it would be. Uh, but this olive that I, that I actually care for, it's more tropical, and it actually loves getting wet. It loves the moisture, and it loves getting watered, and it loves full sun. So 
Yeah, no, the it's very odd. Which has the bigger leaf. Mm -hmm. um, this one has a small leaf. It's it's probably as big as your thumbnail. It's not that big. That's how like the Aliens do Echoes. They do like hot water, keeping them extremely dry. Uh, the other thing which really goes against the grain for bonsai enthusiasts in this country is you need to repot them at midsummer rather than in spring. Yep. That's that's what uh that's what you're, you you guys are doing. Yes, for uh for most for the majority of our plants that are considered tropical, we we repot them in the middle of the summer. So like uh July is like optimal tropical working. We can work our tropicals in a way where we can root prune and we could top prune and style the tree, put it right in the bonsai pot. That's yeah. that's how strong they are over here. So uh for you guys, it's like you got like what, like a barely a window of time to do it, probably. It's like um, it got kind of guaranteed 30, 30 degrees, 30 degrees centigrade um, temperatures during July, and that's the only month. That's the only and time. It's such a, a wide variation through May, June, and August. Mm. You can have quite cool temperatures. Just yeah. The weather, you don't know what the weather is going to be like from day to day. Yeah. And uh, and so for everything else, we're doing repotting practices, of course, in the uh, the early spring. Or if it's a conifer, we can get away with it when it's like late winter here. Uh, so it's a lot of flexibility in those type of things. But when it comes to the native plants that we have here, those are typically done in early spring, right before bud launch. So that's kind of... I don't know how similar that is to you guys. This episode of Bonsai Southeast was brought to you by Underhill Bonsai, Louisiana's premier bonsai nursery. We have everything you need, including bonsai soil, bonsai tools, imported pottery, handmade pottery, fertilizer, affordable Yamadori stock, pre-bonsai, finished bonsai, and a lot, lot more. Check us out at www.underhillbonsai.com. Take a peek at our Facebook page, Underhill Bonsai. Let's jump back into it. Yeah, we are moving over, and I certainly have late summer repotting and certainly collecting oh okay so you have that time where you have the the, the temperatures start to drop at the height of summer and the night temperatures are just in double figures and you can repot most things but certainly things like scots pine or pine that's the absolute best time to repot them rather than the spring mm -hmm. in the spring we can have frosts up until May. So if you repot your pine in, say, April, we can then get waterlogged, we can get frosted quite hard. And we're now discovering that actually the pine root growth is strongest in as the new buds appear on top of the new growth. Mm. So you get the new season's growth, then you get new buds appearing on whichever pine you're, you're working on. And mm. that's when the root growth is strongest. And so... most so yeah we have mostly japanese black pine in our range because it's too wet and it's the the um the summer is way too intense and the, we found that the japanese black pine especially if you grow it from seed here it becomes more resilient okay. yeah so that's that's the best pine we got our native pines are shit so we don't have anything really that great you guys obviously have something a little bit better those pines are absolutely fantastic i mean they grow up to the Arctic Circle, 
and I know someone who's, who's told me that they have Scots pines growing in Jamaica still from where the, the British went over planting the mountains for, for timber. They have mm. such a wide range. We consider all pines to be single flush, yep. and that includes black pines. They, the black pines, it's not hot enough for us, for a black pine in this climate. Okay, yeah. Because I would love to use a Scots pine, but I don't even think I could find one anywhere here in the States. And then, uh, and you're talking about Japanese black pine being, for you even, being a single flush. We get, you're, you're probably going to be like, what the hell? Like, we get four flushes in Louisiana. I can imagine, I've heard the stories in Florida where they've got five or six. In yep, the that is, like that. that's true. And it's like, I go out and I'm growing my black pines from seed and you can see the the growth rings as, as as they get the new set of candles going up. And yes, I've got seedlings out there I've had for almost two years now and they've got like seven or eight growths and they've got decent little trunks. So I think I think I can get ahead on something like that. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that with that one, I post a, a black pine on, on social media and what I'm doing is an achievement, but probably for most countries in the world, it's a bit feeling that you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the black pine, it's still uh it's still kind of a I wouldn't say it's a mystery. I've gotten a lot of the things that kind of kind of like was tough to me because I'm so used to deciduous. So like with deciduous yeah. You go grab a deciduous, you chop it down, you work the roots and you throw it in a pot and then you start working. And most beginners, most people that get into this, that's straightforward enough. But then also when you take the Japanese black pine, it's like people are like, you can't overwater it. You got to worry about funguses that are really bad here. They get the um, the needle fungus, the ring yeah, yeah. Uh, fungus. And it's just all that, that trouble and people don't bother with them here most of the time. But uh, I'm trying well, to- With all that humidity, you're going to have quite a lot of airborne uh, from guy and bacteria, I guess. So. Yeah. And also it contributes to uh, overhead watering systems too. I mean, people like to use misters and sprayers here to keep up with the, uh, the Louisiana heat. And I mean, we're, like you said, I didn't, I didn't even consider that uh, getting into a nurseryman because I, I'm running a nursery here that's got thousands of plants. And wow. when those misters go off, that stuff becomes airborne. And I didn't know it yeah, was yeah. that easy. And it's a bummer, you know, because I can't hand water all those plants by myself. Uh, so it's like pick and choose my battles. So uh, we can we can hand water some things. We can, you know, right at the soil, do like the little sea sprayers like we need to. But I mean, you can only do so much and hand watering is always the best way. But this is where the, the whole uh, working with the island and the, the scientists and microbiologists behind it has isolated certain bacteria that will, will fight all kinds of attack on a plant. So we're finding that it's now the, the Maru product, which has got three bacteria in it. You mm. spray it on the needles and it will even remove needle cast. It will remove olive, not on olives. It, it, because it's a beneficial bacteria rather than some a chemical which will attempt to wipe out all um biological activity on the on the needle and, and it's we're just away with it at the moment what's the uh what's the name of that it's it, a pro 
the, the company's called ProBioCarbon. Okay. Um, and she is a doctor, Karen O'Hanlon. She is the woman who sells the product or produces the product called Dano, which has totally, totally changed and revolutionized bonsai growing in, the, in this country this year. You, you get very, very equal growth across the entire tree. So your lowest branches will be just as strong as your apical branches. Basically, it's a bacteria that evens out the growth rates throughout an entire tree. So we're saying this is some kind of bone size serum, like health serum for these trees. Yeah. Um, we isolated the bacteria from a, a field in, in Ireland. And this is her job. She, she produces the bacteria for agriculture. Mm. And one of the bacteria is fantastic for potato growth because it produces uh, bushy potatoes um, and stops them being very vigorous because potato growers, they don't want vigorous top growth. Yeah. They want lots of root growth. There also is a lot of problems with potato blight. So she's added a, a second bacteria in there, which basically gives the, the plants an inbuilt defense system that rushes to any attack from um, an alien bacteria or fungi. It's, it's absolutely amazing. It's next level stuff. Uh, I'm guessing that stuff's only really accessible to you guys right now or? The, she's managed to produce uh, the Dano in a dry form, which can go out to the States, Europe, Australia. We're using um, a, a liquid form at the moment. Okay. And but she's discovered that she can dry out, she can send out spores in a dry form, and it's it can legally enter the, the US. Just go on to bio um, carbon, and it will give you a lot of information on that. That's something that I'm going to have to uh, just link to this. If it's okay if we release that information, I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, 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 go for it, go for it. Um, okay. It's, it, it's spectacular, particularly the diseases it can fight. Um, something that actually deals with needle casts, cedar apple rust, which is a nightmare on hawthorn and juniper. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It gets rid of it. That's, that's something that I was struggling with. Uh, and one thing we're going to talk about, uh, momentarily is uh, more of the, the plants that I've been collecting versus what you collect. Hawthorn, I started pulling our native hawthorn out of the ground and instantly getting this, uh, they call it like a triangular uh, fungus that attacks the leaf. It's like, uh, it's like a blight. It's like a hawthorn blight, but it's got a really particular name that's here. And I don't know if it's because it's just what our hawthorns have. I don't know if you experience the same thing with your hawthorns, but uh, from the leaf rather than the branch itself yes uh the, the leaf curls over itself a little bit yeah um i i wish i had if mark steps back in here uh i can have my buddy mark go grab a leaf we've got we've got him here i mean it's just something we can't get rid of we're fighting it constantly so i'll have to get oh, him to show it, it to you yeah show us this leaf um okay so i pulled in a tree that's got a little bit of stuff going on here Let's see if you can see that. I haven't seen that black. So it's got the fall, obviously. So it's got the fall color going on. But even with uh, even with this fungus, you get the spottiness in the middle that you see the spots in the middle. They're, uh, 
sometimes they come up like almost a coppery looking color. Let's see if I can find another one. Uh, and then the edges yes, curl up. swelling on the edges. Yeah. Here's a little bit better. Just like, just, just the leaf itself. So you see, you get the little spots and then the edges start to burn up. I did spray a fungicide on this, so it kind of fought it back a little bit, but it can get a lot worse looking than this. And they defoliate. They de completely defoliate themselves in the summertime, which is the worst time to do it. Yeah. And we'll lose, we'll lose branches and we'll lose, I mean, we haven't lost any trees yet because our hawthorns here are, um, are the Cartigas Martiali, which is the, um, which is a Southern hawthorn here. And uh, they're pretty resilient, but yeah, they get, they get jacked up pretty hard over here with this fungus. So I would be interested to see, oh yeah, this leaf is real bad. Um, I would be interested to see what this, uh, this bio, this new uh, chemical, not chemical, but like this uh, beneficial bacteria that you got over there, if that would actually yeah, work. It's, what we're finding, it's just everything. I've had problems with olive knot. You're aware of olive knot where you get like uh, little tumors growing randomly on um, the branches of olives. Um, when it cools down a little, it's very wet. That's, uh, see, I've got the one olive but I'm not familiar, I don't have enough olives and I don't have enough experience oh. seeing them, but we do get knots on other trees, like you're saying, like uh, we do have, I mean, my, my hawthorns do that kind of thing where they'll get little lumpy, it looks like excess uh, scar tissue buildup. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then we'll have uh, oak trees. Oak trees get like a parasite in them that makes them literally swell little knots on their branches and they get, I mean, you'll have a skinny ass little branch and you'll have this big old ball on there. But that's a local. I mean, I, I think most legislation in Europe was used at oak galls to to write most legislation through centuries and centuries. Inside it is jet black, and that's how they used to put oh. it. I'll have to check that out. I didn't realize that. Um, but anything that was major legislation, they used oak galls. I did not know that. So I you know. now have a use for them. <laughs> yeah. It's it is. As if I need to uh, start a new country over here with uh, with the oak goals that we got, but uh, That's the way things go. Um, do you do any winter washes? Any uh, as far as like going through and treating during the winter time, basically. Yeah. Um, we that's something that was really terrible about until recently, uh, because I started actually treating my trees like they're bonsai and not so much like a uh, like a beginner and I told myself I need to stay on top of spring and winter spring is very important so yeah we do use like a um in, is it we use systemics systemic uh fungicides insecticides that get down in the system um and if I don't know it might be just naive of me to be like uh that's that's going to take care of the issues and are like uh or even something like a neem oil that goes down and helps with those type neem of things good, yeah uh, neem oil is basically a catch-all uh, for it, like a natural catch-all. I tried, honestly, I tried lime sulfur. Lime it, sulfur works. That, that was the purpose of lime sulfur. It's, lime sulfur was used for you know generations, generations of root trees to mm. ensure that there were no viruses the following year on the harvest. Okay. So you want to mix um, kind of one part lime sulfur, twenty-five water. Or if you've got a problem tree, even 20 parts water, spray it all over the tree until it's literally um, going white. Mm -hmm. Make sure you've got the, the soil surface covered up, obviously, because you don't want too much in the soil and flush through any any excess. 
but that will just kill everything. The problem is it will it will kill the beneficial bacteria as well as and viruses as well as yeah um the stuff the nasties you want to get rid of yeah so this is where we're all kind of trying to move this into beneficial bacteria and um, fungi while retaining um, the good stuff yeah that's something that I press a little bit harder on now. Um, now that I'm supposed to be the educator here at the nursery, um, I always encourage people to use organics uh, as far as fertilizers. I always encourage people to not use like we have myothion here, which is an awful chemical that it's a bomb. Uh, and it's just people are dumping that kind of stuff on their trees and then the trees become weak and more chlorotic because the, uh, the, the bacteria are not there to help take up the nutrients they need. That's kind of where the whole there conversation there's um bacteria on every single leaf that produces that helps the, the leaf photosynthesize and you take it you get rid of it you kill it and then you weaken the leaves off mm -hmm. so you're kind of though you're solving one problem you're creating other problems exactly that's what i figured um so yeah i would i would be very excited to see what this these spores like if we can get them um and see what they can do I, i'm hoping it's not too expensive but i mean if it's going to help the nursery you know then we jump on that in a second but uh it's one of those things though you sow the area into the soil and then it remains there if you have a, a, a cold winter and i'm talking about temperatures below eight degrees centigrade then you'll have a reduction of bacteria in the soil but it's still present Mm. So and in theory, you only need to sow once. Yeah, and it rarely gets cold enough for that type of thing to worry about that uh, yeah. that temperature up here. So awesome that that's enlightening. If uh, if it works the way you say it, uh, and I trust I trust your your judgment over those things. Uh, it's been something I've just written for Bonsai Focus um, um, magazine, and it, every single spring I've needed to jump on top of the apex of my hawthorns because they will always produce really really coarse growth on top um five or six shoots will just go for it and they'll be really thick and plump shoots now if i let those extend they'll just wreck the apex of the crown it'll become too coarse yeah. so i need to sort of kind of jump on top of them remove them instantly this year the entire crown of 40 or 50 shoots had completely equal energy, uh, huh? small in snow shoots coming up and I need to prune them for months. It was crazy. That's that sounds like the that sounds like what we're trying to accomplish in Bonsai when we get to that stage of With that our pruning techniques. Yeah. Exactly. We're trying to get to that that matted that not that matted but that really matte like root ball versus number of, of buds. It sounds like it kind of helps fix that earlier on, which is so Still to me. That's it. There's, a, there's no worry about redirecting um, energy of the tree down to the branches, lest they become weak, because the growth across the entire tree is equal. I've always enjoyed uh, one of the reasons behind the website and social media is you know when you discover something and it just gets you going and you, you're buzzing yeah. about it, you can't share it with people. Mm. I know there's artists who keep all their information to themselves in this kind of yeah. publicity. I love sharing it. 
So I'm lucky that we have, uh, we have like the internet and the outreach and that stuff because uh, for a while it was just me and my, uh, me and my, my fiance, Caitlin for a while. And I'm just like, Kate, check this out. Check this shit out. Like, look at this, look at this tree. And then she's like, dude, you got to find another outlet for this. And so, like you said, like having access, uh, opening this nursery, uh, I just, they come out of the woodworks, like other, other guys and gals that enjoy this coming up here. It's just been incredible. Like my friend Mark over here, he's, I mean, he's built to be a lifelong friend because I didn't know he was so into bonsai, you know, and then you build those kind of things, you know, that's the best yeah, part yeah. about it. No one realizes that. It, it's a true thing. I mean, some people, they I work as a bonsai artist and they, the number of people who wanted to own a bonsai and it's died relatively quickly. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of the stuff that I deal with is, uh, and, it, I'm sh and I know you probably know exactly what I'm about to say. You got your friends that walk up and they're like, I had a bonsai tree once and now I don't anymore. And I don't know if it was ever worth it, you know, and like, and you ask them, where'd you keep the tree? How often did you water it? And all that bullshit comes up and you're like, and you, and I'm sure that gets repetitive for you uh, if you've had people like that. But I mean, how do you go about that conversation to encourage, like if you think there's a chance they I might was, do it? I, I simply remember how it was for me. And I hmm. started out and my enthusiasm and I wish there'd been someone who said, Harry Wright, if, if you get it out of that really, really terrible soil that the trees come to you in, don't trust the soil, it's crap, change it. You're doing the right thing, but what you've got isn't set up properly. It's not commercially viable for the majority of uh, bonsai nurseries to repot and spare root all their stock. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the price would be extrapolated. Yeah. It would be much, much higher. So you're getting trees that are come to coming straight out of the ground into a bonsai pot and will survive two or three years. Yeah. And with those economies of scale, you can you can then buy yourself a tree for £15, uh, $30. Yeah. And uh... but it needs to be sorted. And that was my more massive driving point than anything else was you're doing the right thing. It's the same to people. You are doing the right thing, but a tree in that style is incredibly difficult to keep alive. Yeah. Um, and that's, that kind of leads me to think of, uh, like I, I always say this to people, if they ever want to pursue bonsai, and I do want to give credit to you because when I was reading your early online forums, you had always preached about soil content. Like you can use Akadama or you could use diatonaceous earth aka your cat litter uh yeah. project and as long as you get that solid permanent soil in there you you haven't repotted some your deciduous in like over a decade you said and oh, done yeah. like, a, like a hard root prune like we're talking not like repot like like take out of the pot and clean up the old soil substrate around no, the edge kind of them. yeah you you don't have to cut them viciously hard back as if you're going into the bonsai container the first time yeah, I mean, there's 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 trees where I feel I can improve the uh, Nabari. I used to be obsessed with reading the old Japanese articles about 
Nabari building and mm. grafting in saplings and stuff like that. But for me, some trees just the uh, Nabari isn't that important. As a, for instance, on a hawthorn, on, on a Yamadori hawthorn, it's a much lesser importance. And, and and sometimes with different trees, there's so many different tree species. There's so many nuances. And I'll I'll come across people who come into the garden, and they spent years trying to obtain something on a tree or a tree species where it's just not possible. Mm. Hawthorn, you have the the roots that you're given, whereas something like Asian species, really, you ought to be able to build a reasonable Navari with quite a lot of trees. On Acer, you said? The Acer species. Yeah, okay. I was making sure I got yeah. that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get people coming to me dismissing a juniper they've got that's beautiful simply because it hasn't got a, a fantastic Navari. And I say to them, look, it's, it's, it's not possible on a juniper. You're yeah. going to have areas that will naturally die back by... And, and that will make them look old, but they will also lose the surface root. Mm-hmm. It's, I think what what's difficult is when you're teaching bonsai and when people have written books in the past, and, and me included, you have to generalise. If you don't generalise what you're saying, it then becomes an article full of caveats for every single species, and people will just fall asleep. So you do a lot of generalisation. As you as, as you travel on your journey through bonsai, you realize you realize there are nuances to follow, including not needing a, a perfect nabari on a juniper, but it's quite nice to have it on a an yeah. ace palmatum. It's it's part of our journey. Um, the problem I think is that some people will get the the general gist of bonsai, they'll be able to keep a tree alive for a long period of time and they will reach certain levels, but they stop there. Hmm. And they will stop there in their first or second or third year of learning and repeat it for the next two or three decades. Yeah. I have seen too many times. And that's... I think we all, we all need to keep pushing. I learn stuff literally every month every year mm-hmm. so like saying like the furthering education and breaking away from the norms the cookie cutter uh idea of bonsai that always needs to be in question is what you're saying basically with that yeah and, and you know it, it's a, a good as a for instance it, it's a good general rule to say to people don't remove more than a third of the root ball at each repotting mm-hmm. But some trees, you wouldn't quite remove that much. And other trees, as a, for instance, an olive or a privet, you could remove three quarters of the roots. Yeah. And that's just, you know, a basic, a, a basic um, example, but it's far easier when people are starting their journey to just give them that third rule. Because that, if you give people the third rule, it, it, it remove only no more than a third of the root ball you mm. know they're not going to kill the tree exactly that that prevents all those issues of dis- discouragement early on yeah definitely yeah. because people will see me collect the bald cypress for instance from uh but from you don't need roots for them, do you? exactly yeah we pull them out the water 
this thing's going in a bonsai pot. We're fixing this right now. <laughs> We're cutting those roots what like we need to. And sometimes they come up and it's scary. You're just holding a you're holding a log with a couple of a couple of roots going off the bottom. What we know that species. So it's safe just to go first bonsai tree, just go by the one third method. And that's it. That that'll work for you. Yeah. That's that's a good way to carry that. You walk up to someone who's just starting out and they have to ask you a basic question and then you list out three dozen different species and the amount of root you can take off each, they just switch off. Yeah, not. that doesn't make any sense though. <laughs> uh, until they get until they get to more like me and you where they're just like very particular and, and also you don't think about those things until you get to that point where you want to show that tree. Whenever you have that ideal container or, or setting or planting for the tree, do that. Do you really need to worry about that? In development, I tell people, don't worry about cutting things back or cutting things off really hard until you got the shape and you got yeah. the tree healthy. So that's that's kind of where I'm starting from there. Uh, okay, so let's let's go into the questions I got lined up for you. These questions are more about just Yamadori, just yeah. generalized Yamadori questions, because uh, this not only are these questions that will very greatly relate to the content of what we talk about here on our podcast, uh, because we really do care about collecting uh, bald cypresses and other native species here. So I thought it would be a really great thing to relate it to one of the people that I've always kind of looked to for, you know, like I've gone off a lot of your techniques and I found that they have worked uh, very well when I applied them. So I think it would not hurry off people to hear your side. Yes. Uh, um, so basically, how did your experiences in bonsai lead you to start collecting Yamadori? Like, what, where did it transition from regular bonsai to like, let's go get uh, Yamadori? If I'm really honest, when I started really ramping up my, um, my involvement in bonsai, I quite simply didn't have any money, hmm. um, having been kind of like, not able to work as a gardener, having done my back in. Um, and I was crazy about bonsai and I wanted bigger trunks, thicker trunks, older trunks. So my way out was to go and collect them. And I used to go over, we have a, had a lot of coal mines, old coal mines um, in the Manchester area, Manchester, Liverpool area. And I'd walk up there and dig some trees who were fantastic old trees they didn't really grow because they were just sitting in water all the time so they had lovely dense um, root balls and you, you can see those trees i've still got them and i absolutely love them i've had them for 16 17 18 years but i collected one and I started applying the basic rules of bonsai. And I was gutted by the time I finished because I turned this wild tree that I loved. I loved the look of, it was a wild tree. And I just tamed it. I'd removed everything that was wild about it. Mm. I'd removed all the inc incorrect branches, all the branches that weren't um, correct for the basic bonsai rules. And after a lot of thought, this is where I realized, I started thinking, no, I, I need to be an artist about this. I need to, instead of 
listening to people who say you can't have dead wood on a deciduous tree, I need to kind of play around with that and find my own way. So if I removed a, a thick branch, I thought, well, when I'm out and about, when I go out and look at wild trees and wild trees that I love the look of, they've got dead wood. It just doesn't project. It's not a gin. Mm-hmm. It's not a shari, but you have an uro. You have that hollow, that hollow where it's almost pitch black and you can't see inside the tree. I need to replicate that. And then that's a normal tree. That is, sorry, that's a natural tree. And that was part of my journey. That was part of my learning experience was working out how to utilize the material I could get my hands on. And I think a lot of us are like that. We have certain material that's available to us in the the countryside around where we live. We don't have the option of going out and spending an incredible amount of money on material. So we have to make our own way. And I'm sure there's there's a lot of people out there who have to do exactly the same. You bring up a, you know, I had a young family at the time. I couldn't, I couldn't justify spending hundreds of, of, of pounds or dollars on a piece of material. I, I did things my own way. And it taught me so many lessons. It taught me how to carve, how to make things look natural. And how to just think, okay, so there's a guy on the internet who thinks that all the branches should be left, right, back, left, right, back, all the way up. Do you know what? I don't care that much. I just love this tree. I'm going to have it as a one. Mm-hmm. And then I was very, very fortunate enough in the early 2000s when I started collecting the Walter Pauls was talking a hell of a lot on the, the forums um, about his outlook on bonsai. And he would talk about indicators of age. And what he said was in the very, very basic um, design concepts on bonsai, an indicator of age is to have horizontal branches, branches that don't oppose each other. But actually, in real trees, in real life, it doesn't matter so much where the branch emerges from the trunk. It's how much taper it's got. It's how much ramification it's got. They're also indicators of age, and they're far more important. Because I would look at a a picture that Walter Paul was um, posting and instantly go, wow. That was the first thing I thought was, wow. And then I would look at the tree technically for that, for my knowledge at the time and go, no, that's about, you've got those bar branches in there. There's a big hole there. That shouldn't be there. That shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between and then sitting down and looking at the rules and applying the rules? And I realized there's a massive disparity. And what Walter was doing was showing us a different way to doing things. He showed us how to build a crown on the tree. And this is one of the biggest things, is how a a deciduous tree grows a crown and it's upright. Mm -hmm. Like the spokes of a wheel. It's not this ridiculous pine image that people have put in. And, And that's the kind of course that I followed literally based on the material that I had available to me was Mm. basically thinking I'm going to do the best I can with what I can get my hands on. 
it's a good way to learn. Being yeah. stuck in a place where you've got not much choice other than to be a bit innovative. All right, y'all. We're going to stop it right there. Thanks for listening to the Bones Eye Southeast podcast. And stay tuned for part two.